Well, hello again. It's good to be up here. A um, couple of things. Uh, Soul Church, I know a lot more about you than perhaps you do about me. When I came to Tassie, um, I met some people from Prezi churches around, and I'd heard about you. Uh, we at City North have been praying for you. Thank you for your prayer for me, uh, for us today. Um, I'm married uh, to Louise. We've been married for 20 years. We have three kids. Um, our eldest is 15, our middle is 12, and our youngest, who feels very Tasmanian, she's eight. She loves it here. We moved here, as I said, to plant a church in Glenorchy, um, and City North Church turns two next month, so praise God for that. Um, we're just really stoked. Um, but I did a bit of uh, searching about Soul Church. I did a bit of stalking around to see what um, Soul Church was on about. So hopefully, this will all come up here. This is good. This is a good start. I noticed that you're in North Hobart, Lafroy Street. Okay, That's, you should know that. You're here. Um, I had a look at your mission statement. And I really like your mission statement, by the way. But here's my question to you. Before I talk about North Hobart... Does anyone know the mission statement for Soul Church? You've got three key words. I really like them. They're great. Um, no, that, well, that's pretty good too, Paul, but no, it's not that. Yeah. Worship, nurture, and reach. Worship, nurture, and reach. Um, <clears throat> I love that. They're really important words. I think they almost encapsulate all of what we'd want to do as God's people, right? Worshipping, nurturing, and reaching. But this, this afternoon, I just want to um, speak on one of those words. I want to speak on the word reach. It's in your mission statement, so I'm allowed to. And by the way, just to clear up any confusion, Peter rang me. We don't know each other very well, but he asked if I could preach because he was away. I said, sure. And I said, is there anything particular you would like me to preach on? He said, no, no, not really. Just go for it. So this is not loaded. He hasn't loaded this in. This is something I chose to preach here. Um, may God speak to you as accordingly as is needed. Um, but it is one of my favorite passages, Romans 10, which we'll get to. I want to focus on this word reach. Um, there's a line under, in your website, there's a line under the word reach that says this, Soul Church, reaching into the community with Jesus' redeeming love. Reaching into the community with Jesus' redeeming love. That's powerful. That is potent. Soul Church, stepping into North Hobart with Jesus' love. I had a look at North Hobart. This is data you can find, census. You won't be able to read that, I reckon. But there's a couple of things I noticed about North Hobart. That shaded area is approximately Hobart. That red circle is approximately 5 Lefroy Street. I might have got it wrong by a street, but it's okay. Look how many people live in North Hobart alone. Two and a half thousand. Now, that was as of 2016. It's gone up in the 2021 stats, but they're not available as easily. Two and a half thousand people live in this suburb, in that shaded area. Now there's about, the average age, there's about that many 30-year-olds. That's sort of the, the, the average age of this area. But importantly, that many people, 51% are of no religion. 51. But interestingly, though no religion, many of them claim that they believe in God. So they might be no religion, but they are not no God. Does that make sense? 51% of people say, that, which means 49% are saying, oh, I'm religious of some description. Which means a 1,000 people in North Hobart alone are thinking, 
I've got some vague idea about God. I'm religious to some degree. That's quite a lot of people, isn't it, for North Hobart, where you belong at Soul Church. There are many of them, I don't know how many, but many of them are the unreached. And your mission statement is that we will reach. And I'm just mentioning some that are unreached in this area. They are the unreached. And you, Soul Church, have made a commitment in your mission to reach the unreached with Jesus' redeeming love. So I want to focus on that. And I think Romans 10 is going to help you and I as we think about how we reach the unreached. There's three things that are going to come out of Romans 10. But before I get there, what I would love you to do is, if possible, if you don't already, if you could grab a Bible. I don't know if you have, like, pew Bibles or just on your phone, Romans 10. That would help me immensely because I'm not, I don't have the passages coming up on screen. And I just think it will benefit you if you see what I'm saying rather than just assume that what I'm saying is right. Romans chapter 10. Three things are going to come out of it. We're going to see in Romans 10, in order, to, in order to reach North Hobart, you're going to need the first thing, a heart for the lost. The second thing, confidence in God's grace. And the third thing, speaking the words of the gospel. Three things are going to come out of Romans 10 to help you in your mission of reaching the lost. And I think it's an exciting mission, to be honest. I want to start with that first one. In order to reach North Hobart, you want to have a heart for the lost. I want you to turn with me, if you wouldn't mind, to Romans chapter 10. I'm just going to have a look at verse 1. Now, if you've got the NIV, which is what Paul read for me, that's fine. I've got the ESV here, but it's going to say roughly the same thing. But here's what verse 1 says. Paul says, My heart's desire and prayer to God is that they may be saved. He says, My heart's desire... And my prayer is that they may be saved. Now, who they are in, in Romans, Paul is currently talking about his fellow Israelites who at this point in time have rejected his Savior, Jesus Christ. And he says, my heart's desire is that they may be saved. They're not right now, but that they might be. But he says it even more forcefully in Romans chapter 9, verse 1. But before I get there, that word desire, his desire... His desire that they may be saved. It's a really interesting word. It's a word that's entrenched in the heart. You won't find that particular word that's used there. You won't find it in any secular literature in the first century. Here's where you will find it. In the Greek of the Psalms. You know the Psalms that are really the emotional part of the Bible? It uses that Greek word desire when it's written in the Greek. Over and over and over again. It's a longing of the soul. And Paul says that longing of the soul is that his fellow Israelites would be saved. That's his desire. And have a look at this verse on the screen. He says it even more forcefully, the chapter before. He says, I speak the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ. For the sake of my people, those of my own race, the people of Israel. Can you imagine saying that about the people of North Hobart out this door here? My heart's desire is that I would even give up my own faith and be cursed for them. That is strong desire. And Paul has that for his people, the Israelites. A passion 
that they would be saved. And here's why. Paul didn't make up his desire. His desire comes directly from his heavenly Father because God has always desired that the unreached would be saved. Have a look at this from Isaiah. Turn to me, he says, and be saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. And I thought about the ends of the earth. I thought, where is the furthest point from like Jerusalem? What is Paul's end of the earth? Do you know where it is? It's nearly Glenorchy. So North Harbour, Hobart's not far. It's actually in New Zealand. The furthest point, equidistant point from Jerusalem is kind of like our area. And what's God saying in Isaiah? Turn to me, you people in North Hobart. Turn to me and be saved. Turn to me. Well, have a look at this in Zechariah. He says, Behold, I am going to save my people from the land, the east and from the land of the west. I didn't do my geography on the east and the west, but you get the point, right? God says, I will do the saving. Paul's passion, the Apostle Paul's passion for people to be saved comes directly from God himself. And you might remember this famous part in 1 Timothy. God desires all people to be saved and come to a knowledge, acknowledge, to a knowledge of the truth. Do you see that? It is God's desire that all people be saved. Jesus himself, did he not say, I've come to seek and to save the lost? Doesn't his very name mean to save people from their sins? Is not God willing that no one should perish, but all should turn in repentance? 2 Peter 3 verse 9. Paul's heart for the unreached is because God has a heart for the unreached and because Jesus Christ came for the unreached. So friends, Soul Church, here's my question. It's a question I've pondered since preparing the sermon this week. What about our heart? And what is our desire? Where do our desires, those longings of the heart reside right now? Because if you're like me, there's a chance that your own desires, your own affections are set. Not on seeking the lost. Not seeing them reached but rather your desires are zeroed in on yourself. It's possible you might have become self-absorbed, self-focused, self-interested to reach your potential. And I'm not saying you're unusual in doing that. I think that's the natural default state of humanity. I think that's where we go back when we're not thinking about it, just the thinking of myself. Not God, though. God's heart has always been for the loss, for those outside of himself. So the reminder for us gently today in Romans 10 is to have a zeal to see the lost saved. So how do we do that? If you're here saying, no, I get you. I see where you're going with this. How do you develop a zeal for the lost? Well, it's probably that's a sermon in and of itself. But here's just one thing. Look closely at your prayer life. Who are you praying for, if you're praying at all? Who is your prayer for? When we come to gather together at church, who are we praying for? Well, if you notice that the unreached do not figure greatly in your prayers, why not start there? Why not start begging the God who saves, the God whose delight is salvation, 
pray that he would save the lost in North Hobart. And let's see what happens. Because I reckon our zeal will grow where our prayers are orientated. That's what I think. I think reach, that third word in your vision, begins with a zealous heart for the lost. But I don't think it finishes there. And I don't think Paul thinks it finishes there either. And the second thing that comes out of Romans 10 is a confidence in order to reach North Hobart. Yes, you're going to need a, zeal, a zealous heart, but the confidence in God's grace. Because you may well grow a heart for the lost. You may well grow a heart for people who don't know Jesus, who desperately need Jesus, who don't understand how great it is to be in the kingdom of God. And you grow a heart for them and then you think, hang on a minute, that's going to come to nothing because they can't be saved. If you don't believe that they can be saved, your zeal will come to nothing, right? And that's where Romans 10 takes us next. The second thing we learn is God's grace, we can be confident in it. I wonder if you wouldn't mind having a look with me at verse 9, Romans chapter 10, verse 9. Have a look at the confidence the apostle says here. He says, If you believe or confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you possibly might be saved. It doesn't say possibly at all. He says, as confidently as a man can, you will be saved. If you believe in your heart, if you confess with your mouth, you will be saved. In verse 11, he says, anyone who believes will not be put to shame. Verse 12, God bestows his riches on all who call on him. And of course, verse 13, have a look with me, verse 13. Repeating an often said phrase in the Old Testament, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be. Do you hear the confidence? Paul is absolutely confident in those who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. So if you've had those thoughts in your head, uh, you know, it never works. I tried telling someone about Jesus. They rejected me, so it doesn't work. I said it three times. I prayed for that guy like all year last year. Nothing happened. If you've had those thoughts, yeah, I get that. I get that. And it can erode your own confidence in what God is doing, right? But Romans 10 saying, oh no, don't lose confidence. Because we can have great confidence that anyone who calls on his name will be saved. In fact, Jesus says this amazing thing in John chapter 6. And he says, This is the will of him who sent me, that's God the Father, that I shall lose none of those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. Look, there's the confidence right there. Jesus is confident in those he is saving. Our doubt, doubt has been at the very core of human existence since Adam and Eve were there. That crafty serpent slithering around, asking questions like, did God really say not to eat? Is it possible that someone so far gone can be saved? Is it really possible? Come on. It doesn't work like that. Doubt is at the core of our existence. But Romans 10 pushes against that doubt. And today I want to encourage you to push against that doubt and to have confidence in the grace of the Lord. 
actually want to speak this afternoon to anyone here. I, I, I don't know if there is anyone in this particular position, but it might be you. Perhaps you've been beginning to doubt whether you yourself can be saved. I wonder if you've drifted from the firm foundation that Jesus came to reach and seek and save you. I wonder if you've lost complete confidence that you yourself will be saved. That if you died today, right now, that your confidence has eroded that when you meet God, that he will welcome you in. Perhaps you're doubting your salvation. I think I just want to know you to know this this afternoon. That God can take the worst of sinners and he saves them. He can take the foulest mouths, the hardest hearts, and when he says, I save, he means it. I save. You can trust that if you confess with your mouth that he is your Lord, you will be saved. I want to tell you about Sally. Sally, it's not her real name. She used to be a keen church member, but she drifted away. She drifted quite rapidly from her faith and the God that she once knew. She never really stopped believing him, she tells me. But, you know, as that drift went on, so did life. And she stopped going to church. She stopped engaging in community and church life. And she went in and out of really hostile relationships. She wound up having a child to a man that she had not married. After immediately leaving the father of that child, Sally decided quite quickly to marry a man she'd met for just a few weeks. She's got a small child and marrying a new man. His name, not his real name, is John. Let's, for argument's sake, let's call him John. John was not just any man. John was an active atheist in the atheist community. He was very kind. He is very kind-hearted, but was actively against anything of what the Bible was saying and was actively seeking defense against it. And she chose to marry him. Sally had very quietly given up any hope that God would welcome her back. So she just carried on. However, one day, Sally met a church family. And they said, do you and your family want to come to church? She said, all right. So she brought her little boy and her new atheist husband to church. Well, the thing is, when they got there, the first thing they saw was a Bible. And the atheist husband picked up the Bible and said, how much does it cost? Someone said at church, oh, it's free. You can take it. He goes, all right, fair enough. He took it home and he read it cover to cover. And over time, he started meeting up with a member of that church to find out what it was all meaning. And you can hear what's going on, but that member of church who didn't have any theological degree just explained what was going on. Well, that atheist husband, a few weeks in after finishing the Bible, accepted Jesus as his Lord and approached the pastor of the church and said, I want to get baptized. What do I have to do? And the pastor's like, what? And all of a sudden, Sally, who had made some pretty bad decisions in her life, has found herself back in a church with a believing husband and a child that's being brought up, not in an unsafe environment, but a really, really safe environment. And the amazing thing for her is that he, not just her, is leading them in the faith at home. 
And Sally is overjoyed to suddenly be in this Christian family. And her son now calls this new husband, Dad. It's an amazing story. They love the church they're going to, and they attend the midweek group as well. But this is the reason why I share the story. As far as I can see, and I'm no one to judge, let me tell you, but as far as I can see, Sally and her husband are not the sort of people you would think that would be good enough to be saved. Are you with me? They made the mistakes. And yet, they're the exact people that God reached out and saved. And it just shows how incredible God's mercy and His grace is. And they're just one of countless stories, yours and my story. They're the same, right? If you've lost confidence in God's grace for you, can I encourage you through this story that no one is too lost for God's incredible grace? And you can have confidence in that. On a side note, the husband, he's very keen to go to Bible college. Sally's not so sure about that. But that's grace working in the life of one family in one corner of the earth. Praise God. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You can have confidence in that. That's not the only thing. It leaves us with the simple, I guess the simple question. If we can have confidence in that, and we've got a heart for the lost in North Hobart, why, as a Christian community, would we not share it with people around us? What's holding us back? If, if it is holding you back, I'm not saying it is, but if it is, what is it that's holding you back? And this is the third point that Romans 10 brings us, that we need to speak out this gospel message to people who don't know it because everyone desperately needs it. I'm wondering if you would open your Bibles again, Romans 10, have a look at verse 14 with me. There's incredible logic in verse 14. I really love this verse. It helps me. It grounds me. Verse 14 in chapter 10 of Romans, it says this. Speaking of the lost, he says this, how then will they call on him if they don't believe? And how are they meant to believe in him if they've never heard of him? And how are they meant to hear without someone preaching? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Do you see the logic in that? You've got to call on the name of the Lord to save. You've got to believe in your heart. But in order to call on that name, you need to hear it. But in order to hear it, it needs to be preached to you. And how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And I don't think he's talking about preachers from the pulpit alone here. I think he's talking about believers who bring the good news. In other words, the number one way God is going to save people is not through miraculous dreams and visions that people have in the middle of the night, although that may happen. But that's more like the one in a hundred. The most common way that God uses to save people is hearing the spoken word and believing it. And the New Testament proves it, right? Uh, two of my fam- uh, fa- favorite stories in Acts. There's this one, Philip the Ethiopian. Um, you might remember him. Um, God gives him an audible voice and he says to Philip, go and stand next to the chariot. Now, can I just tell you, God is powerful enough to speak to the man in that chariot himself. But God says, no, Philip, you go 
and stand next to the chariot. Philip says, okay. There's a man reading Isaiah in the chariot. and says to Philip, I don't understand what it's saying. Can you explain it to me? And have a look what Acts 8.35 says. It says, Philip opened his mouth and beginning, beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. Do you see how God saved that Ethiopian? By Philip explaining the gospel. And then there's Cornelius, the centurion. Do you remember that story? Cornelius is told in a vision, go see Peter. Peter's told in a vision, go see Cornelius. They don't know each other. They meet. What are we doing? I don't know. And this is what Acts tells us. Peter opened his mouth and explained the gospel. Do you see what I'm saying there? God uses his spokespeople to preach the message so that people will be saved. I knew a young guy who was walking down the street. He was 17. He had headphones in his ears, ready to go to school. He was running late. There were two Bible college students out the front of his church, handing out tracts and like Bibles and stuff like that. He had his earphones in. He's walking past. The Bible college student took some courage and asked him, do you know anything about Jesus? The guy took one earphone and goes, what? And he said, do you know anything about Jesus? And the teenager said, no, I don't. And he said, would you like to know? And the teenager looked at his watch and said, you've got three minutes. This Bible college guy goes, all right, three minutes. He shared the gospel in three minutes, expecting the 17-year-old to say, thanks, I'm out of here. Do you know what the 17-year-old said? He said, that is profound. I'm running late for school, but can I meet you afterwards? And to the best of my knowledge, they met up afterwards, and that 17-year-old, who's probably a lot older now, is still going to church. Just a random walk past like that. Someone preaching the gospel, and he was saved. I know a barrister who had a very vague understanding of God. But he came to faith, I guess you could say, when an older man in a church that he started attending sat weekly with him, week after week, for two years, reading the Bible and explaining it. That barrister became a born-again believer, gave up his life in law, and is going to Bible college right now. It's not the same as that miraculous walk down the street, but it's the same gospel. It just took more time, didn't it? Week after week. And that's because the spoken word, when heard, is that Jesus is Lord, and when they hear, they can believe and call on his name. But how can anyone call on his name? They've never heard of him. So speak the message of the gospel to the people of North Hobart in any way that you choose to do it. And look, I know there are some people that are just better at it. There's just some people that just seem to get in those conversations all the time. Do you know someone like that? Do you know those people that are just talking, next thing you know, they're talking about God, and you're like, I'm stepping back. Some, we like to call them the capital E evangelists. I just don't really like that term because I don't believe in it, actually. I think some people are gifted at reaching and preaching and teaching, but I, I actually think we're all... You know, if there are people like that in your congregation, can I say this? Champion them. Send them out of here to preach that. If they're good at it, send them out with pats on the back and bring them in warmly. Hear their stories, you know what I mean? But don't bring them back as heroes, just as people that you sent out to share the good news of Jesus with others. But don't take off your own beautiful feet, if you know what I mean. How blessed are the feet of those who bring good news. You've got those feet as well. We all have the wonderful task of being sent by Jesus to the ends of the earth. 
into all the world. Guys, God has tasked Soul Church to be in North Hobart for just a time as this. And if you're saying, I don't know, that's, that's too hard. That's not me. I could not do this. I wouldn't know what to say. Well, I think there's people in your church that do know. Be trained. It doesn't come naturally for most of us. Be trained. How do I share the good news with somebody? But in the meantime, get involved. If your church runs an event that will bring unbelievers into your community with the purpose of sharing the gospel, put your hand up and say, I'll clean the toilets. I'll provide the morning tea, the afternoon tea. I will pray an hour before you get here that God will do his business. It's God's business after all, isn't it? Get involved, even if you're not the spokesperson at that time. Have a positive attitude to the missional activity of your church and get involved. But if that's way too far down the track for you right now, can I say this? Here's the very first thing to do. Celebrate the God who rescues. Celebrate him for his salvation and praise him for the fact that he is the one that rescues us and seeks and saves the lost. And consider five people that you might pray for. Five people. And be ready for God to be tapping you on the shoulder to say, hey, maybe now's the time to chat about Jesus with them. That's Romans 10. I'm going to pray for you now. Um, I'm not exactly sure what happens next, but let me pray. Father God, I praise you for this church, this church family. I praise you for their really important position here in North Hobart. For the thousands of people that do not know their right hand from their left, just out this door, I pray by your spirit, you work powerfully. Lord, it would be so exciting to see people come to know you, knowing you and believing you after hearing of you through the preaching of Soul Church. I pray for that. I pray that for generations to come. Another decade, Lord. I pray people will be um, uh, active in being part of the mission to reach the lost. In Jesus' name, amen.